Today begins our Lent series. It's simply this time we're looking at Mark 14 and 15, the, the, the stories that Jesus went through leading up to his death and his resurrection. And we're, we're finding out what we can about Jesus himself, who we follow, but then we're also realizing Jesus is not just talking about himself. He's giving us an example that he wants us to imitate, to follow. So we'll learn things about Jesus we need to know, but we also will learn what to follow. Life has purpose. We'll talk about that today. A purposeful life requires surrender. We learn that from Jesus. God-centered identity is required. We learn that from Jesus. And as we journey through life, just like Jesus did, we will expect to encounter betrayal, persecution, and death. Difficult things, but we're going to encounter them, and Jesus actually shows us how we can uh, make it through and navigate through those difficult things that we'll encounter in life. So today we began just with the question, who are you following? I'm not asking if you're following someone, I'm just asking who, because we all follow someone. And you may say, no, I'm my own person. I built my own life. I'm my, own, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. Well, really, how did you learn how to talk? You heard your parents talking, and you learned from them. You did not learn on your own. How did you learn how to weld, to cook, to shingle a house, to do laundry, to clean, to manage money? Where did you learn it from? You learned it from somebody else. That's how everyone learns everything. So the question is not, are we following someone? It's just, who? Who is it? And since we have surrendered our lives to Jesus, the who, of course, is Jesus himself. We want to follow him. And today we're going to find out that at this Last Supper story that we're working with today, that Jesus reveals that his life has a clear God-centered purpose. And he, give, he lets us know that, not just so that we know that's who he is, but he's inviting us to have that same kind of God-centered purpose for our life. And we'll find that out. So the story begins with these opening, opening sentence. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? The story gets set up. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are among crowds of thousands and thousands of people who all go to Jerusalem for the Passover. Because to, to eat the Passover meal, you have to have a Passover lamb, and you can only get the Passover lamb at the temple in Jerusalem. So thousands and thousands of Jews pour into to, uh, Jerusalem for the Passover meal, and Jesus and his disciples are part of that huge crowd, and they need a place to have the meal. And they all know what's going to happen. It's like going to Thanksgiving at Grandma's house. You know, same thing happens, same food, kind of the same conversations. It's the same every year. And Jesus will be the host at the table for his disciples this year. But Jesus will do something unexpected. But it starts out somewhat normal. Instructions are given and carried out. So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. As at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare a meal. So the two disciples went into the city, found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. They got to get the unleavened bread. They got to make sure they have a supply of wine for the meal. They're going to mix together a mixture of bitter herbs uh, and, and dried fruit and wine uh, 
for a special part of the meal to remind them of the bitterness of slavery that they were freed from. And then they, got, they have to roast the lamb. They got to get all these parts of the meal already. So they're working on that. Evening comes. Jesus and the other disciples arrived, and they're all ready. And then something unexpected happened. Betrayal is exposed. This doesn't happen at a Passover meal. Passover meal is an annual meal Jews had celebrated for centuries. It's a celebration. Once we were slaves, God got us free. We're so happy for that rescue. God's been rescuing us this way currently, and we look forward to God being our rescue in the future. It's a, it's a profoundly positive, uh, encouraging, comforting time. And it would begin with the host of the meal, which would be Jesus. He would bless everyone at the table in a prayer, and then he would bless the wine that will be used during the meal. And then after the blessing, the food's brought in, the unleavened bread, that mixture that the disciples made up that, with the bitter herbs, the roasted lamb would be brought in. It's all on the table. And then the youngest male would ask, why is this night different from all other nights? And then the host goes back and tells the story of getting out of slavery in Egypt and, uh, and the great deliverance God gave to them. And then they would sing together Psalm 113, 114, and 115. They did this every year since they were kids. They all knew it by heart. And then after that, they take a second cup of wine. And then the host would take the bread. He would bless it in a prayer. And then he would break it and hand it out to everybody around the table. Then they would serve the roasted lamb. And then the meal's kind of winding up. There's a third cup of wine that's given. There's a prayer for that. And then they sing together Psalm 116, 117, 118. And the meal concludes with a fourth cup of wine. This is unlike any meal we've ever been a part of. They're supposed to be done by midnight. It's a long meal. It's full of purpose and celebration of what God has done. But at the beginning of this Passover, this is what happened. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is the one it is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, and as the Scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would have been far better for that man if he had never been born. Unexpected. Disciples are shocked. What? And the disciples are so unsure of their own commitment to Jesus. There's some questions in their mind. They don't point fingers and say, oh, I know that's the disciple who will betray you. They each go, am I going to do it? Is it me? And then Jesus predicts his death, which they don't understand what's going to be happening yet. And then with sadness in his voice, he talks about how terrible it will be for the betrayer. Now, this is not how you start a Passover meal. This is not upbeat. This is not positive. This is not celebrative. This is serious. But that's what she, how Jesus began. And then he shifts gear. He gets back in the Passover meal and does the regular things that are supposed to be done. Uh, but then uh, things are added. And Jesus repurposes the Passover meal. Now, if you repurpose something, you take something that's used one way, it works fine, and you just repurpose it and use it a different way, maybe even a better way. So barn wood, old, old wood from a barn side. Worked on the barn, take it off, uh, use it for, excuse me, Make a sign with it, make an interior wall with it, get repurpose it, right? Maybe even better than being on the barn. So Jesus did, does something at the Passover meal no Jew had done in centuries 
I'm saying the same words again and again and again. He's going to repurpose it. So it's not about an ancient rescue from slavery in Egypt. It's about a current rescue from sin through his death and resurrection. So just listen to Jesus' amazing words. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So Jesus took the bread, which that's what everybody, the host is supposed to do, and he said these words, this bread, this is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. And everybody, the disciples know, yeah, he's supposed to say that. But then before he handed out the bread, he said, take and eat, for this is my body. And I can just imagine the disciples' heads just jerking a little bit, going, what? What does he mean, and why did he say that? This is about something ancient. Why is he talking about his person, his own body? Well, he's getting them ready for his body being broken to death. And then when the meal was over, as a host, Jesus would say these words, sing praises to our God to whom belongs what we have eaten. And everybody around the table says, and they all know this, praise be our God for the food we've eaten. And then he took the third cup, he said a prayer blessing over it. He passed it around the table. But then he said, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. And again, the disciples' heads, what? What did he say and what does that mean? Jesus is repurposing the Passover meal. It used to be about an ancient delivery. Now it's about what Jesus will do for them in the coming hours and days, his death. His resurrection. Not an old covenant with Abraham, but a new covenant between God and people for forgiveness for everyone who comes to Jesus. This new agreement. And so, not an old Passover lamb, but a new Passover lamb, Jesus himself. Jesus repurposed the Passover meal. So, we actually call it communion today, don't we? Or the Lord's Supper. And the bread is the body broken. Jesus' body broken in death for us. The cup is now about the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sins as we believe. He repurposes things. So, back to purpose. Where do you find the purpose for your life? Where did it come from? You have to have a purpose. If you don't have a purpose, you won't live. You'll just quit. You'll just give up. You go, well, I never really picked a purpose. I'm just living. Well, then, you chose the purpose that your mom and dad modeled for you or the purpose that's in culture. You go, oh, that's, that's what life's about. I'll just live that way. Interesting thing is, we can live most, half of our life, even most of our life, and never actually think about what is the purpose of my life. Sometimes we do that and we go, oh, I know, I'm going to choose a specific relationship. The purpose of my life is to take care of my aging parents. Or the purpose of my life is to love my spouse. Or the purpose of my life is to, to love my kids and grandkids and be there for them. Now, my mom will turn 90 in April. I'm married. Tara and I have kids and grandkids. I love them, but they're not the purpose of my life. My mom will die. If she's my life's purpose, I will lose my life's purpose. 
My grandkids are going to grow up. I'll still love them. They'll still be connected to me, but they're going to move out into the world. Not, I'm not going to be around as much anymore. If I choose them as my purpose, I'm going to be scrambling for a new one. I'm convinced that most of us actually don't evaluate the purpose that we're really living for until our lives get shaken. Something happens and it just shakes us to our core and everything crashes and crumbles. It happens different things for different people. It could be a divorce, could be a cancer diagnosis, could be an unexpected job loss, could be death of a loved one, could be retirement, all kinds of different things. But we just get shaken. And the purpose we had isn't working anymore. What do we do? Now, this whole purpose thing, it's, it's possible to choose a purpose for life that just leaves God out. It won't go well, but we can do it. Because God's our creator. He made us in his image. He designed us. He designed life. He knows what's best for us. So if we choose a purpose that's not centered on him, it's going to be tough. It's actually, the Bible, it's called sin. It's called rebelling against God, saying, I'll do my own purpose. Forget you. And that, that rebellion, that sin, brings physical and spiritual death. And spiritual death lasts forever. That's what the Bible calls hell. It's a place apart from God's good presence. And we don't want that. So Jesus sets the example. He says, no, I want you to do what I do. Have a God-centered purpose for your life. I can't choose that for you. You can't choose it for me. Everyone chooses on their own. This God-centered purpose that Jesus invites us into. Now, David, Old Testament writer and songwriter, centuries before, for him it was a no-brainer to put God at the center. David wrote, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Why would I not put God at the center of my life? For David, it was an easy thing. And Jesus in the Passover meal is making sure we understand he's giving up his life because it's the purpose of God for his particular life, a unique purpose to be the Savior of the world. See, all the chapters of our lives are different, but they're all the same. Just think about Jesus' earthly life. You may never have done this. Uh, he was a kid. There's a chapter in his life where he was playing and learning and growing up. He was a child. Then he got to pre-adolescence, early adolescence. He was a carpenter's apprentice with his stepfather Joseph, learning the tools of the trade how to work with wood, and a lot of their work was with stone. And then uh, after he was apprentice, 15, maybe 18 years worth, Jesus was a carpenter. He went to work. He earned a living. And then the last three years of his earthly life was the year he chose disciples, taught us the truth about God, and then his death and resurrection and ascension. But all these different chapters in Jesus' life, and in each of these chapters, his purpose was God-centered. How do I know this? Well, Luke chapter 2 tells a story about another Passover. Uh, what's 33 minus 12? Whatever that number is. That whatever that number is. That many years ago, Jesus is back in Jerusalem as a 12-year-old with his parents for the Passover. And they're done. They travel not as a, an individual family. They travel as a clan. And so Jesus is off playing with the cousins. And, 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 and so when they leave Jerusalem... Jesus isn't with Mary and Joseph. He's with the cousins. But when nightfall comes, where's Jesus? He's not with the cousins. Where is he? Mary and Joseph have to go back to Jerusalem, spend three days looking for Jesus. Jerusalem's a major city in the ancient world. And when they finally find him, uh, he's sitting in the temple with the religious leaders, teachers, 
He's asking them questions and answering their questions. And the leaders are, teachers are very impressed with this 12-year-old. And mom and dad aren't impressed. Mom's mad and uh, lets Jesus know. And Jesus said these words, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? God's my purpose. Of course I'd be in the temple. Jesus said this God-centered life as a 12-year-old. He did as an apprentice carpenter. He did as a carpenter. And he did as a teacher and then the savior of the world. So the same is true for you and I. We have all these different chapters in life, but we can have a God purpose in each of them. So the next step is really, really simple. Do you need to repurpose your life? Do you? And if you need to, you just know you do. Jesus called Peter to be a disciple. He told Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Jesus took Peter's life as a fisherman. He repurposed it to fish for people instead. And Peter said, I want to do that. He let Jesus be at the center of his life's purpose. Sometimes we're afraid uh, to have a God-centered purpose because, oh, God may ask me to do something I don't want to do. I like what I'm doing for my work. I like my life. I, I, I don't want to change everything. Well, this is the way it works. When you have a God-centered purpose for your life, you do everything that you do already for him. So you go to work for Jesus. Your home life, you do for Jesus. Time with friends, you do for Jesus. Everything that you do, you do for Jesus. That's a God-centered. Now, maybe an event in your life has just shaken you to your core and your chosen life purpose crumbled. Jesus knows this happens. He told a parable one day, basically said, if you listen to my teaching and, and, and you hear it, but you don't obey it, you don't follow me, it's like you build your house on sand and the storms of life come and the storms of life do come and, and your life just crumbles. But Jesus said, thankfully, if you hear me, obey me, follow my teachings, imitate me, then you've got this rock foundation. And when the storms of life come, you'll be fine because you have a God-purposed center in your life. And Jesus invites us into that. So the prayer for this week is just, it's, it's on the uh, program. Pick one up on the way out if you don't have one. True God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I want to repurpose my life so that I do what I do for you. It's that simple. Thank you that whatever chapter of life I'm in, my purpose can be serving you. Amen. And that prayer said every day this week will help you orient and get the repurpose that Jesus invites you into. I usually uh, thank you for your giving on Sunday mornings. I'm going to give you two numbers to talk about. It has to do with the, the purpose of our church. We've been talking just about you personally, your family, but now it's about church. 12% and $31,000. Now, there's no way you would know this unless someone tells you, so I'm going to let you into the good news. 12% of our giving, of all that we give together to God's work at Cornerstone, goes out. It goes out the door. It doesn't, we don't spend it on ourselves. It goes out to fund ministries and missions in Watertown, in the upper Midwest, and around the world. Most of that is designated by the missions committee to 20-plus missionaries and ministries. Uh, but there's a couple percentage points of that money that isn't designated. And, and, and as our giving is strong, that builds up a fund balance. And every once in a while, the missions committee gets to spend it, invest it on uh, mission opportunities around the world. So giving has been really strong last year, into this year. So missions committee got together, and within the last two weeks, we gave away $31,000 for four special projects. And I just want you to know what they are, because 
you made it happen. Uh, in Manila, Philippines, we have friends who teach at a, a, a Christian school that teaches missionary kids. And next door to their campus, there was a group of 50 families, mostly related, uh, also part of the same church together, and, but they're living in slum conditions. I saw pictures, uh, Steve sent me some, and they're uh, living in wood lean-tos about 8 by 12 feet, open on one side. And the government Manila didn't want people living there. They were like squatters, and so they made it difficult for people to live there. And so uh, Steve said, I want to raise $25,000, give each family $500, we'll relocate them, and with that money they can do a down payment on a, a government-built home, and from then on their mortgage will be $8 a month. Now, that's nothing to us, but that they, that's something to them, but they'll be able to handle that. And so the families will get to go together, and their church will come with them. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we gave money, $2,000, for four families to get relocated. So that's going to happen. It's great. We uh, support the Robins Nest and Orphanage in Jamaica. Smart people. They've been doing this for a long time. They do a nice job. Uh, Christian, uh, Christian operation. They use solar power. And when you use solar power, every once in a while, you've got to do what? You've got to get new batteries. $10,000 worth of batteries. So we said, we'll give you $5,000. We'll cover half the costs so you can get your free energy that you need to help the kids. Channel to Brazil for Christ is a Christian after-school program in Fort Laser, Brazil that works with 250 kids Monday through Friday. And they have a kitchen. They've been doing this for about, I think it's 38, maybe 39 years now. Um, and they feed each of these students, one really good meal a day. It's like our evening meal here. It's probably the only good meal the kids get, maybe the only meal they get that day. And after so many decades, the kitchen just needed to be gutted and refitted. $20,000 worth, we were able to give 10, half the cost, so kids can continue to get fed and take advantage. Then the last one was Pastor Henry Makissa, who's been here a couple times over the last seven years. He's in Entebbe, Uganda. He has a Christian school for at-risk kids. He teaches them about Jesus. He gives them a good education so they can work through, get to high school and get to college hopefully one day. Uh, he has a feeding program, same as in Brazil. These kids need to at least have one meal a day so they can concentrate. And he actually has some orphans he takes care of. Um, the government came along and said, if you're going to run a school, you have to have a master's degree. Otherwise, you can't run your school anymore. And he emailed this to me. He says, what am I supposed to do? So we, we did some working together and found out he could get a master's degree in Entebbe, which is the best place to get it anyway, um, and it was $14,000. And the missions committee talked about it. We said, well, he has to raise all this money all the time for his school and for feeding kids and for the orphans. Let's just pay for the master's degree so he doesn't have to worry about it and can concentrate on his ministry. So we did that. So that's part of our out. And so as a church, we have a God purpose. And it's not just about us. It's about being involved with Jesus, changing people's lives around the world. So let's say this prayer together today. Dear God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I want to repurpose my life so that I do what I do for you. Thank you that whatever chapter of life I'm in, my purpose can be serving you. Amen.